Amen. Thank you, Kim. Uh, can we give Kim a hand and the worship band, too? What a great... This is... It's the craziest thing. I mean, we're in a gym. We're in a gym! Like, I'm just worshiping in, in our little green room slash uh, changing wardrobe room. I don't know, like, what they use it for during the week. And, and I'm experiencing the presence of God. And you guys are out here experiencing the presence of God in a gym where they play basketball and put on plays. And we, we do a great disservice to the Holy Spirit when we limit God to just this time and space, don't we? Uh, we can experience God wherever you go, wherever I go, in the car, reading a book. Like the presence of God. That's what Jubilee's about, man. Isn't it? Uh, you guys ready? My name's Jake. I get the pleasure to serve here, and uh, I serve on the teaching team as well. And uh, we've been in a series called uh, The Hallway. We've been kind of talking about this idea of the hallway. Uh, you're not where you were, and you're not where you want to be, but you're kind of in the hallway. You're kind of in the middle there. Uh, and I think this has been resonating with a lot of different people. And today, I want to look at the idea of um, the hallway of God's promises. How many of you had a promise from God before? Yes, a lot of us. I think a lot of us. My hope and my prayer even this week is that God would kind of reawaken or, or stir some of those promises that have gone dormant that maybe you have uh, laid down. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to dig into Jeremiah. We're going to dig into Genesis. We're going to talk about this cool guy whose name is Jacob in the Bible. <laughs> Just saying. And another guy, a uh, pastor back in the 1800s, his name was Vince, and uh, so we're going to have some fun. If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. A lot of you probably know this by heart. If you can help me out by saying it, reading it aloud with me, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for and not to give you a future and a hope. Father, we just uh, come to you today. This unique space that we make can be um, easy to just kind of go through the motions to kind of turn our ears off. And, and God, as we do that, I just pray that you'd keep our heart alive and awake. Um, God, that you would open our ears, that we would, uh, that you would speak just soul to soul to us, that you would awaken dreams that have been dormant and uh, promises that have been made maybe even uh, recently or, or a long time ago, and that you would uh, breathe some new life into them, God, that you encourage us. Just speak in the middle here, God, in this hallway. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. How many of you have heard this verse? Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to give you hope in a future. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. How many of you have seen this, like, you know, on a card before? Yeah. How many of you have been encouraged by it on a, a mug, maybe, right? Have you seen it in Hobby Lobby? Somewhere in Hobby Lobby, it is there. Right? For I know the plans I have. We go, this is our go-to verse for encouragement, isn't it? For I know the plans I have for you. And it is an encouraging uh, verse uh, to read. But as always with the scriptures, it, when we take things out of context, when we just take a verse, uh, we miss a lot of what uh, can be pulled from it. And this is one of those verses. Because right before God says this promise, okay, before he gives the Israelites, and he says, listen, I know the plan, plans to prosper you, not harm you. This is what he tells them. He says, okay, you're about to go through 70 years of exile. Yeah, exciting news, right? You bet they're all, woohoo, like get to the prosper, happy part. Like, no, God is saying, like, 
right before, right before he drops this verse, right before he gives this promise that, that I will never leave you and never forsake you, that I'll always have a hope in the future, he says, you're going to go through, Babylon is going to come in here, you're going to be exiled, and for 70 years, 70 years, you're going to have to hang on to this promise. That's a long time. I mean, imagine year one. Year one would be even tough, right? You're displaced. You're, you're, you're not where, you're, where you are used to being. You're comfortable. You're 10. You're 20. You're 30. Imagine that. You're passing it on to your kids. Well, God said this. Your grandkids and you're 60. Imagine that. Well, God said it. Maybe the grandkids are, are going, I don't know about this, though. Grandpa, Grandma, I don't know about this promise. You said it so long. I know, I know, I know. But God said it. He's going to do it. How many of you have a, had a promise that God has given you? A dream, something that he's dropped into, you, into your life that has been stuck in that hallway? A lot of us. You know the most frustrating thing in the world? Have you ever been like out early in the morning, like the first one out. Maybe you're going to work really early, hitting Starbucks. Maybe you, maybe you were setting up here, right, out here at five in the morning, right? You're the only one out. Have you ever, and you pull up to a red light. <laughs> Isn't that the most frustrating thing? Like, no one's around. It's just you. And you're sitting at it, and you're like, am I an idiot for sitting here? Should I go? Some of you go. I know you do. Don't even lie. You're just like, no one's looking. I'm a pastor. I can't, right? (laughs) It's frustrating, right? Like, no one's looking. Why am I here? No one's going to cross my path. I could go and no one would. Why am I sitting here at this red light? Right? You're in the hallway of God's promise. Like, God has given you a promise. and You're not where you were before that promise. You know about it now. You're aware of it now. You know, you're not at the promise, you're not there in the the active part of it, but no, you're somewhere in the hallway, you're in the middle. There was a young pastor, uh, his name was Vince, he grew up in the late to, well, mid to late 1800s. Uh, somewhere in Europe, and, and he was kind of a different cat. He, he had his father and his grandfather that were ministers, were pastors, and he felt the promise, the call of God on his life to go into ministry. And this young Vince thought he would step into the same thing, but he was different in the way of how he thought. In fact, he saw God a little differently than his father and grandfather did. Maybe it was, you know, uh, his mental health. Maybe it was just his perspective. Maybe it was how God wired him. I mean, you heard the story of the Good Samaritan. A lot of us have. Jesus tells the story of how these religious people would pass this broken, hurt person on the road. And they missed the opportunity of seeing Jesus. Remember Jesus said, to the least of these, right? That when you, when you minister to the least of these, you're ministering to me. And it took one of the least likely kind of people to see something that all the other religious people didn't see. And to act out on it. Something inspired this in this young pastor, Vince. And, and he kind of made it his life mission. The way he would do ministry 
When other pastors would dress up and, and, and you know, uh, live the higher, society, higher part of society, uh, young Pastor Vince took the lower side. He sold everything that he had, and in the town that he would interim in for several months until he really got his license from the church, he would practice this kind of ministry. He sold everything he had, and he would move in with the local miners. And he would do life with them, and he would minister with them. He would uh, minister in ways that other pastors never dreamt of in those times. When they would come home wounded from uh, a mining accident, he would tear his bedsheets, and he would mend their wounds with his own bedsheets, leaving him nothing. The town drunk, the, the angry town drunk that everyone ignored, that, that left for just to, to do his own thing, Pastor Vince stepped in and saw something there that other people didn't. And it left an impression on a lot of these people. He would do ministry this way. This was kind of his thing. He, he saw things differently than other pastors at that time saw it. Six months into this, the church would contact him and visit him and find his methods unorthodox. And they would reject him as a pastor. And young Vincent stood in the hallway of God's promises. God, you promised me this. This is what you called me to. You even wired me this way. Why do I even think this way? You made me this way. And he sits at the red light. What is happening? God, what are you doing? Maybe you've had a promise that God's given you. Maybe it started with a desire to have a kid, and you're in the hallway right now. You can't. Maybe even the doctors have told you you can't. Maybe you've had a call into some sort of ministry. Maybe you were a teenager at a camp sometime, some and God called you to do something unique, and years later you go, I wonder what that was about. <laughs> Maybe it was a, a, a business that, that God promised you that would flourish and, and you sit in the hallway of that promise asking the questions we all ask. Why would you bring me here, God? Why would this happen? Why can't I be over there? Anyone relate? I think all of us have been in this place. Well, I want to share with you the four stages, what I call the four stages of a promise. Um, this isn't a formula. Pastor John talked about it. Remember last week he says, you know, we, we deal with addition, subtraction, and God's dealing with quantum mechanics, right? He's working on levels that we can't even see and don't even understand half the time. But there are some patterns we can kind of see when it comes to the, when it comes to the, the, the phases of a promise that I want to walk through. But it's not a formula. You can't just say, okay, you know, I'm here in the phase, uh, phase of a promise and I'll be here because we all move at different places. And how we react in, in the phases of a promise are very, you know, make a lot of where we go back or forwards in that. Does that make sense? And the first phase is what I call the honeymoon phase. This is the green light, right? This is, this is the exciting phase. God gives you the promise. It's something new. It's something exciting, right? Oh, God's good. It's like Joseph with his dream, right? He's just, he goes right to his brothers. Not the wisest things to do, you know? Hey, you're going to serve me one day. You're going to bow before me. God said it. 
right? This is the honeymoon phase. You, you, like the shine is still there. It's exciting, um, you know, and this is, this is this part of the stage that we learn to engage the promise, right? This is David getting anointed king as a young shepherd. This is Pharaoh freeing the Israelites. This is Joseph getting his dream. This is the exciting part of the phases. Now, the question you might have is, how do I know that God has given me a dream? How do I know, you know, it's not the green chili burrito I ate last night. And just, you know, like, how, how do I differentiate if this is really a promise that God has given me? I want to give you three things that would help you kind of navigate this figuring out. And, and I will say this, that, that over time, I think the, the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you are able, it's, it becomes easier to decipher, doesn't it? It's like, um, it's like in a marriage, you know, those first years. It's hard to understand sometimes uh, and communicate with your spouse. But over time, you learn the subtleties of those communications, right? The look is just, yeah, that's all I need is the look, right? And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. With when God gives us a promise, it becomes easier over time when you're hearing God's voice to decipher that, to to go, okay, I, I know that God promised this. But here's some things in the meantime as we're navigating some of this. Test number one is, is it lines up with Scripture. Does it bring life? God doesn't work outside of his word, right? God doesn't, like, uh, I, I've heard people come to me and say, I feel like God has called me to, to leave the church and to spend some time by myself. I go, that's not God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Being isolated, show that to me scripturally. It's just not healthy right? Going to the word first and making sure it lines up with scripture is is always a healthy thing. Test number two, uh, there's wisdom in the counsel of others. So many people I know nowadays, we we, we hear from God, we we get a promise and we just go cavalier, don't we? (laughs) Which is like, boom. And we don't don't bring in wise wise counsel. Hello? Hello? Not your buddy at the bar. (laughs) Bring in people that have tested, that have known, that can speak, that can go toe-to-toe with you. Hello? That can be truthful. There's, there's wisdom in the counsel of others and bringing it before them. Youthfulness. I remember so many times I would come, you know, and just cavalier, have, have, have you know, a word from God and, and just ignore the wisdom of those around me. And I walk into the foolishness of that. So there's wisdom in the counsel of others that can, that can help us hearing these and decipher these promises. And then third, uh, third way to test this is it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. The promise always lingers there. And maybe it's a time when, when you feel like it's, it's not going to happen at all and God just subtly knocks and the vision's there again. And maybe it torments you even, like, whoa, I thought this was done. I thought God's going, up. No, just wait. Keep hanging on. I've still got that promise for you. That's a way to decipher it. It's one way to know, you know, if God is giving you a promise or not. Genesis chapter 25. It's the story of a guy named Jacob. Jacob's given a promise early on. I'm going to rattle and shake some of your guys' viewpoint of Jacob, because I think he's a pretty good guy. 
I'm just saying, he's, a, he's been misconceived for so long in some ways. But Genesis chapter 25, verse 21, Isaac is, is uh, Jacob's dad. And it says in verse 21, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? How many of you have ever asked a why before? God, you promised this. It's not how I thought it was going to happen. Why? Why, God? But this isn't Rebecca's story. This is a story about Jacob and his promise that he's given early on in verse 23. And it says, and the Lord told her this, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And then listen to this, church. And your older son will serve your younger son. This is God's word. It's spoken to her. It's a promise given before even Jacob has a name. He's given a promise. He's given a purpose. Now, it's hard for us to understand kind of the context of this because we don't understand birthrights and blessings sometimes. But in a Jewish family in those days, if you were the firstborn, you had the birthright. And with the birthright came the blessing. What does that mean? It means... You know, all the kids got divvied up some part of the inheritance, but the older son inherited the bulk of it. Now, why would he inherit the bulk of it? Because he was the patriarch. He would be the one to carry on the name, to take on the business, to further the family in that one. If anyone was making decisions, right? We've all seen the buck stops here. It was the older son. Can I get an amen from all the older sons? (laughs) Kidding. And this was, this was the promise, though, that Jacob, and, and God flipped it here. He flips it, and he goes, Jacob, the younger one, will serve the older one. Wow. Okay, this is different. But remember, this is the honeymoon phase. This is the, the, the brand new phase. It's new. So then uh, we enter the honeymoon phase. Right, The light is green, we're moving forward, things are exciting. This is where we learn the art of engaging the vision. Like a, like a piece of clay sitting in front of an artist, we're, we're told, we're taught to, to, when God gives us the promise, to engage it, test it, work with it, right? Uh, guard it, hello? There's things that we want to do. Some of you, you've given a promise. Uh, One of the uh, Bible schools I graduated from, one of the best things they ever did for me on graduation is they brought in some um, well-known prophetic people, and they would pray and prophesy over us, and they would record it for us. It was a a way for me to engage with it. I I could write it down. I had it in front of me. I was working with something. Right? This is the, in the honeymoon phase. You're engaging it. You're working with it. You're guarding it in this phase. This is, um, this is in Genesis chapter 25, verses 24, where Jacob um, comes out and Esau comes out and it says this. And when the time came to give birth, Rebekah discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So they named him Esau. Anyone know a hairy Esau? Don't look at him. Come on. You should see the sink in the morning. (laughs) It's a Sasquatch. (laughs) 
Then the other twin was born, and with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. Can, can I just, can we talk names here for a second? Um, I got to redeem the name Jacob here for a little bit, okay? Because some of you have heard, and, and it's been known, Jacob means deceiver. Jacob means supplanter, right? Jacob the liar, okay? This is not what the scriptures tell us. Jacob actually translated as heel grabber. I know, it's much sexier, right? Like heel grabber. Uh, but this was Jacob. Now, now, you know, you hear supplanter and Esau, his brother, would actually twist the name and call him that in, in, uh, later in the story. But originally, Jacob's name was heel grabber, right? So, so even before he, he could grab or even know about the promise, Jacob was grabbing towards it. And before you were even born, God was putting into place that promise for you. And you were doing things and grabbing at it before you even knew it. So Jacob, for years, is maybe in this honeymoon phase, and you can imagine it wears off and we enter the long obedience phase. This is the yellow light phase. Now, there's two kinds of people in this world. There are those when they see a yellow light... (laughs) You know, pause, <laughs> hit the brakes. And there's those of you, <laughs> yeah, 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 I know you, that hit the gas, don't you? You probably even did it on your way here. Right, the yellow light is the caution phase, right? It's, it's, the, it's, gonna, it's gonna turn red here, and, and some of us, we, we caution and we slow down, and some of us, we wanna speed right through. None of us wanna be stuck in the middle there. This is why I call it the long obedience. Eugene Peterson, he, he, he goes into more depth. He, in fact, he wrote a book called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. We read books and we, we, we preach a lot of sermons about the, the, the burning bush moments, right? When God shows up and we experience God in incredible ways. But, but how many of you know most of life is the long obedience in the same direction? This is learning the art of staying the course. This is when the shine of the promise wears off. Maybe even you forget it. This is David watching the flocks, even though he's been promised to be king. This is year 20 of the 40-year exile. This is Joseph, right, in the pit. This is Jacob after years, years of hearing maybe this promise from his mom, but experiencing something different. Wayne Stiles, he writes, you know, because our natural question is to ask why. Why does God bring us through the long obedience phase? And he describes it as being stuck in a round room, right? Here's what he says. He says, that's why we do see do in the round room. We think we're ready to move forward, but God sets us aside for a season. Why? To learn important lessons we would learn no other way. We see the setting aside as a hindrance to progress. God sees it as an essential part of our development. He seems in no hurry during this season. Isn't that the truth? 
Like, we want to step on the gas and let's get through this. Come on. And God's just like, hold on. You want to know why? Because in the end, and we'll close with this, in the end, God could care less about the promise. He's more intrigued to who you're becoming in the process of getting to the promise. And that's what he cares about. That's what his, his purpose is with you. The promise is a tool. And sometimes we idolize that. We lift it up in there and God's going, just hold on here. I'm shaping you. I'm preparing you, right? Like the, like the ultimate Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, right? Wash. I'm like, what are you doing? Trust me. Trust me. This is about learning the art of just staying obedient, of, of just staying the course, of going, okay, God, it doesn't make sense how this is going to happen, but I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to step forward. This is how Jacob probably felt. Imagine, imagine Jacob hearing this from his mom, this promise that God gave him, and then even one day his, his brother, like idiotically, sells his birthright to him for a bowl of stew. Like, hello? Like, I can't imagine the narrative he's writing in his mind. Like, man, God opened up, like, my brother literally legally traded his birthright to me. Now it's, it's really going to happen. And nothing changes. And Jacob has to learn to be faithful again. He has to stay the course. He has to keep walking in that promise. The door knocks. Hey, remember the promise. Don't forget. But then it goes back to normal. The long obedience in the same direction. How does one get through this? Jacob uh, gives us a clue in Genesis 25, verse 27. Listen to this interesting verse. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a, what is that word? Quiet, Quiet man, dwelling in tents. Now, how many of you read that and you're like, what? sometimes I wonder about the Bible. <laughs> like, a quiet man dwelling in tents and one's a, like, what is the Bible trying to teach us here? That word quiet got me interested too. If you look at the original Hebrew word of that, it's actually a Hebrew word pronounced Tom. Everyone say Tom. Tom, Tom translates, to, it can translate to quiet, but it also translates as this, complete, perfect healthy, well-behaved, civilized, guiltless, without sin, upright, honest, man of integrity. Does that sound like Jacob the deceiver? It's telling us, the scripture's telling us, it's reminding us that in the midst of this promise being fulfilled, Jacob remained a man of integrity, a man of honesty, putting one foot in front of the other, in the long obedience in the same direction. Our story continues. Uh, verse 1 through 4 of chapter 27. One day, when Isaac was old and turning blind, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said, My son, yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to Jacob. No, to you, my firstborn, before I die. Now, if you know the story, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, hears this, right? And goes and grabs Jacob. We've now entered the death of a promise phase. 
I don't know why God brings this about in a promise. It's not always, but most of the time in talking with other people, you can recognize there's a season in the promise where God has to sentence that promise to death. For me to stand up here and give you a nice, clean answer would be foolish because, once again, God's working with quantum mechanics. (laughs) Here's my guess is that maybe God puts the promise to death so that when we do finally get to the promise, when we get into that land and we experience the fruit, the honey, that we don't look back and we go, that was because of me. That was because of my leadership. That was because of my smarts. That was because of science that I know. This, no, 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 no. We got there because of God and God only. And the only reason I made it with my head above water is because God was underneath my feet holding me up. And so sometimes we walk through this phase. And you, you've been there. You've probably experienced this at some point. Maybe it, was a, 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 it is a, a, ch- a child that you have that you've been praying for years that they would come back to God. And maybe you've even gotten to the place where you've given up praying. It's like, when is this ever going to happen? Maybe it's having a child. Maybe it's a job. I don't know. Maybe it is a call to ministry of some sort. And you're going, God, I'm in the very least likely place for this to happen. You're in the season where it's the death of a promise. It's the red light. This is the red light when you look around and you're going, I don't see why I'm stopped. I don't see why you put this on pause, God. It doesn't make sense to me. But this is where we learn the art of having faith. Can we talk about faith for a little bit? Because a lot of times as Christ followers, we tie faith and emotions together. And when someone says, boy, I have doubts, or says, I'm not feeling very confident about this. We go, brother, have faith. Brother, sister, you just need more faith. That's not faith, okay? Faith is having doubts, is having emotional worries, and still stepping into that action. Does that make sense? Maybe the best way to illustrate it is this. Some of us, we, we are fearful, like we, we worry, uh, we get anxiety when we are about to board a plane, right? Like in your mind, you're like, how is this hunk of metal going to carry me in the sky and land somewhere? Like it doesn't make sense. And you get all anxious and worried. But what do you do? You walk onto that tarmac You step onto that plane, despite the worries, despite the doubts, despite not understanding, faith is stepping out of the boat, saying this doesn't make sense, but I'm still going to do it. In in, In the death of a promise phase, we're learning the art of having faith. We're saying, God, this, it's dead. It doesn't make sense. I don't think this will ever come alive, but I'm still going to step forward. I'm still going to believe in it. I'm still going to stand here on Sunday morning and worship you and say, God, I trust you. I believe you. I know that you're faithful and that your heart is for me. 
This is David hiding in a cave from the current king. This is getting into the promised land and seeing that you have enemies there. This is Joseph thinking he's getting out of prison only to stay in prison. It is the death of a promise. It's Jesus breathing his last breath. It seems like the story's over, but it's not. God has still got another phase left. Now, what happens has been misinterpreted for so long. In fact, when I read the story of Jacob, I used to see it this way so much. Because we hear the story and we know Rebecca goes to uh, Jacob, pulls him forward and says, listen, we've got to deceive your father, right? In order to get this blessing. And so we've created the story that they've deceived wrongfully their father in order to steal the blessing. I want to argue with this. That it was Isaac who was disobedient. It was Isaac who ignored the initial calling, the promise that God gave Jacob at the very beginning. And even ignored his legal right when Esau sold his promise, his birthright to Jacob. And it was, it was Rebecca, who was a faithful mom, who said, I know that I know that I know that God promised you this. There is a difference between sinful deception and righteous deception, and we don't have time to go into that, but there are countless examples in the scripture that when there were times that, well, for instance, the, the Egyptians, when Pharaoh ordered the massacre of all the firstborn Jewish babies, the midwives deceived them. That was a righteous deception. And God uses this sometimes. Jacob, later in life, would be deceived by his own father-in-law and would deceive him back, a righteous deception. And here, you have entered the last stage. It's the go phase. This is learning the art of contending for the promise. This is when you're sitting in the phase of the death of a promise and you don't know whether or not it's, it's where it's going to happen and God gives the green light and you have to contend for it. You can't just sit back and just think it's just going to happen. There's a step that you've got to go out and you've got to grab it, right? Listen to this. <clears throat> Uh, verse uh, 11, but, but look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau's a hairy man. My skin is smooth. What if my father touches me? If he sees that I'm trying to trick him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing him, me. Remember, he's a man of integrity, right? He's a man of honor. He wants to still honor his father in this. And what happens? Mom says, then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you and go out and get the goats. There's a moment that Jacob has to activate. There's a moment that Jacob has to, has to grab a hold of it or it will pass. Or he will start in the new phase. A different phase. I don't know. But there's a part in this phase promise where God wants you to contend for it. When he gives you the green light and you have to grab it. You have to go for it. This is where we're learning how to contend. This is David fighting the Philistines, right? Uh, upon becoming king, it's Joshua possessing the land, and it's Jacob choosing to grab a hold of the promise that was given to him. And what does Jacob do? You know the story. He grabs it. He goes for it. 
You know that uh, the most used name, God goes by many names in the scriptures, but the most used name that God goes by is the God of Jacob. Jacob would continue to grab this promise over and over. In fact, later God would change his name to Israel. God, or Jacob contends. He wrestles with God. He would contend the rest of his life and grab a hold of that. Where are you? Which phase are you in? Are you at the end there? Do you see the green light? Are you, are you at the phase where you've got to contend? You've got to reach out and grab it? Are you going to go or are you going to let go of it? Are you in the death of a promise phase where you feel you've lost hope? Like, how is this ever going to happen? Maybe you're in the waiting. You're in that hall room again. The shine is worn off and you're just in the long obedience. Maybe you're in the honeymoon phase and it's brand new and it's exciting for you. Get ready. (laughs) It won't always be that way. Remember it, write it down, engage it. Wherever you're at in these phases, I want you to know this. God is there. He's there. He hasn't forgotten and he will not forget. Sometimes when we think of God fulfilling a promise, we write the script in our own head, don't we? We know the story, God. We're like, this is how my miracle's gonna happen that you promised me. This is how the promise is gonna happen. And a lot of times God just writes it in different ways. And Jacob should have known this too. Like his father Abraham, or his father Isaac, whose father was Abraham, originally picked Ishmael, right? God picked Isaac instead. Jacob would pick Esau, and God would pick Jacob. Jacob would pick Benjamin, right? Or Joseph. God ultimately would pick Judah. That's the blessing. There's this interesting story at the end of Jacob's life where Joseph brings his two sons, right, in front of him, and he places them in the right hand, you know, his oldest son in the, in the front of his right hand and his youngest son in front of his left hand. And, and when Jacob goes to bless him, he crosses his hands. You remember this story? Pastor John's even talked about this. And Joseph corrects him. He's like, uh, dad, dad, uh, you got the wrong hands. I put, I put it in the right place. I even helped you. You know, the older son's over here. My younger son's over here. And this is what he says. It's really interesting. He goes, I know, my son. I know. There's something in there. Something telling. Almost like Jacob knows something. Like, I know. You can plan all you want. You can think how it's going to go. But God likes to cross his hands a lot. And you may think the promise will end up this way and the story will write itself this way and sometimes God crosses his hands and it looks a different way when he fulfills it. Pastor Vince, he feels he's a failure. And in his mind, he's written that story. God's given him a unique perspective, a unique way to reach that kind of people. He sees people in a unique way. And he would give up on that ministry. And he would leave the church. He would start writing his brother. And through writing his brother, he would stoke a new passion. Painting. 
And he would begin to paint in a way that he saw the world, which is how he thought God saw the world. During that time in life, there was an art uh, era called the Impressionists. This is where artists would paint exactly how you see it, like a photograph. But this young pastor, who wasn't a pastor anymore, saw it differently and would inspire a whole movement of Expressionism. You might have heard of his name. His name's Vincent van Gogh. And although the promise that he was given and that, that initial calling looked like it was going to be this way, it didn't work out exactly how he thought, but God still fulfilled the promise. And people see, people that would have never met Van Gogh have now seen a new way that, God's, that God has on his people. He would express that through his art and inspire millions through it. God's not done with your story. The promise isn't dead. Don't give up. Have faith. Learn to stay the course in the long obedience in the same direction. And when God fulfills it, when God gives you that promise, don't forget how you got there. By God and by God only. Would you pray with me? Father, I don't know, um, in a room this size, it's easy to think there are so many stories and so many promises that are in different parts of this phase. And maybe some here, God, are in the promise phase. They're, they're in the honeymoon part where it's all new and exciting. Maybe even in this moment, in this time and space, you're giving a promise. Maybe there are those in this room, God, who are just being obedient and they're just staying the course. God, even us as a church, we kind of sit in the hallway, God, with the promise of a, of a future home and we sit in this kind of in-between space knowing, God, what you've called us to and what you've promised us. We wait. In so many ways, we do this in our lives. And maybe some are here today and just feel like their promise has been sentenced to death. God, would you encourage them today? Would you breathe some life into them? Would you give them just what they need for just this moment, for this time? And God, for those that are fulfilling the promise that are about to walk through it or walking through it now, God, may they always remember, may they always remember their source in this. Just with everyone's head bowed and eyes, but eyes closed, I wanna ask you, are you somewhere in one of these phases right now? Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, lots of hands here. I see you, yeah. God, for those that are in one of these parts, I pray that you'd give them the life they need today. God, that you would hear their voice and that you would run after them. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord's plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. The verse right after that, <laughs> right after this, says, and you will seek me and find me if you seek me with all your heart. That's a promise you can hang on today. No matter where you're at in the phase, the most important thing is your relationship with the Father. It's about being a son, it's about being a daughter. Everything else is just extra. 
the healing, the miracle, the promise, the future, all of it will come in God's time, in God's way. Trust him, trust his heart. He's at work. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Was this good? Does this connect? Good. So um, real quick, um, before we dismiss, a healing place is going to start in just a moment. Uh, so if you're here and you want to you, you wanna get prayer uh, specifically for, for healing, uh, we want to invite you to that. Give us about 20 minutes. It's going to take us about 20 minutes to set things up. It's downstairs. So you're going to exit, go downstairs. Uh, and just hang out, grab some coffee, get your kids, all that good stuff, and then uh, they'll start bringing people in. If you got any questions, just find someone with a lanyard. Uh, they'll point you in the right, right direction. Guys, until then, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May you, in whatever phase of the promise that you are at, be encouraged, have faith, and may you one day see God fulfill his promise in you. Guys, we love you. We'll see you next week.